it blew my mind that you could somehow have a contractual relationship with someone that would eventually prevent you from growing or prevent you from exploring or prevent you from innovating or prevent you from testing. to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, who believes there is no better time than now to educate and empower financial brands to gain a fresh perspective around future growth opportunities. That's why today's episode is part of the New Starts Now series, brought to you by Nimbus, who offers a complete set of tech, tools, and services, all designed and engineered to empower you and your financial brand to maximize your future growth potential. Greetings and hello, I am James Robert Lay and welcome to the 173rd episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the New Starts Now series and I'm excited to welcome back Jeffrey Kendall to the show. Jeffrey is the CEO of Nimbus and is committed to helping financial brands delight their members and customers with best-in-class digital banking solutions. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey. So good to have you back on as always, buddy. Uh, it's always fun talking to you. I uh there's never any shortage of fun things to, to get into and, and connect on here. So thanks for having me on again. No, there's not. We actually just spent 30 minutes. We probably should just hit record and we could have gotten two conversations out of this one. We're going to have to come back and talk about what we were talking about before. And I'm not going to tell anyone what that is because it's I think that'll make for a really good, good dialogue and discussion just like today, because you wrote a really interesting article that it hit a lot of of buttons and it got a lot of good feedback too. And before we get there, I want to, I want to, I want to start off on a positive note as always. What's good for you, man. Personal, professional. It's always your pick to get started. Oh man. Well, you know, personal, uh, you know, mentioned that today's Valentine's day. I don't know if we're supposed to say that in case it gets like a week. Before this I think, out. I think this is going to come out about three weeks later. So uh, right. it, it, for context, it's Valentine's day. It's Valentine's Day, which is my anniversary, so that's a that's a fun celebration of uh, 18 years uh, together with my wife, and so that's what's top of mind for today. And I'm looking forward to uh, being able to spend some time together with her tonight after uh, after we're all done working. So absolutely, and uh, it is it is important that we take time to disconnect to reconnect with those who who we we are closest with, um, and and spend time with those that you love and. And I think this this is why I'm, I'm, I'm going to love this conversation because we are getting to spend some time together. It was an article that you wrote. Well, let me. It was called "It's Time for Core Vendors to Ditch Exclusivity Closet Clauses." You posted this on LinkedIn. Fifty comments, 165 likes. Really, really just good conversation that was coming from it. What inspired you? What was what got you to this place to write this to begin with? You know, it's funny. This has been a sort of irritant pet peeve, whatever you want to call it for, for a few years for me now. And what's interesting is I'm, I'm not a career banker. I'm, I'm new to the banking gig and I was in healthcare most of my career prior to this, but about five, six years ago, as I started understanding the financial services space and learning more, I sort of started seeing this dynamic where banks were actually sort of having to agree to contractual terms for software usage this is very unique to financial services. And, and, and I remember trying to work with a couple of different banks when I was with my, my former company, Coney, and we wanted to pursue some new strategies. We wanted to launch a new digital product for one of them. And they came back and they said, man, we can't do it. 
I said, you know, what's the issue? Well, we have a, an exclusivity clause in our contract with Fiserv and we, you know, they, they say that we can't use another digital provider to do something. I said, yeah, but it's totally different. That wasn't anticipated. Like this isn't even really competing. They're like, yeah, but the language is so strict that we could put ourselves at risk and be sued, you know, by our supplier if we, mm-hmm. if we do this. And granted, you know, I was biased because I wanted to do a project with a customer and I was motivated to do that. But it blew my mind that you could somehow have a contractual relationship with someone that would eventually prevent you from growing. Right. Right. Or prevent you from exploring or prevent you from innovating or prevent you from testing and understanding. And what what was so shocking to me about it was that I learned that it's really, really common in contracts, Mm -hmm. in particular core contracts, but also in digital banking and some other tech contracts. And what always bothered me about this is and sort of since it's Valentine's day, we'll talk about relationships. What if you had to, what if your spouse had to be with you just because of a legal obligation, not because they loved you. And that's where I got, I sort of dug in and said, geez, wouldn't it be better if this core provider or this digital banking provider, in this case, it was Pfizer. It's like, why don't you win the hearts and minds of your customers by performing well and doing great things and, and making them love you versus having to sort of go back to a contractual term saying, this is the thing that prevents you from exploring other alternatives. And I thought something needs to change here. So I think you're onto something because it is Valentine's Day. And I like where this is going and we can, we can go back and we can look at, you know, some, some ancient literature covenant, contract. And I think this idea of a contract contract is something that you can get in and out of covenant is, is really more of a promise, right? And my wife and I, we do marriage preparation, another Valentine's theme. We do marriage prep with, with couples. And uh, we talk about this idea of covenant and, and, and contract. And I, I'm curious here because you know, bringing this back into financial services, into banks, into credit unions, Partner and vendor, and you even noted that this in the article of your title. These are these are two words that I hear get thrown around a lot when it comes to technology. For example, tech players they want to be viewed as a partner. Financial brands, though, refer to that relationship typically as a vendor. And I'm 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 really curious because when I think about vendor, I think about a vending machine, it's transactional or some person at the ballpark selling beer and peanuts. So I got a two part question for you. What's the difference in your mind between partner and vendor? And then how can financial brands begin to view technology, not through the lens of a vendor? Cause I think that is so limiting, but more from the lens of a true partnership or even what we were talking about before a covenant more of a promise. Yeah. So for me, partnership always comes back to alignment of interests in the sense of saying we are both going arm in arm to share success or failure together. And what, what the vendor supplier vendor, customer supplier, customer relationship often looks like is, and this is really, really prevalent in software in particular. I'm sure it's, it's in other industries as well, but Number one, if you go out and look at Harvard Business Reviews around failed IT projects, they're massive. Yeah. I think I don't 
don't have a data point exactly, but 60 to 80, 60 to 85% is typically what we're seeing from like BCG and Bain and, you know, all of these other big consulting firms, right? which, which is actually worse than the success rate or the probability of divorce coming back to marriage and relationships, <laughs> you know, the divorce rate is roughly 50%. And what's interesting about that and those numbers is what does our mindset have to be if we're going into something with a 50 to 80% risk of failure, right? right. Like we just tend not to take those kind of odds and risks in life in general, but companies and banks are forced to, because that's sort of how they've been trained to buy by tech vendors, by suppliers. And so what, what bothers me a lot of times, and I've seen this on, you know, to be open, I've seen this on the software provider side, which is a customer comes in, they spend a, a ton of appreciable money and then the software sits on the shelf. The software supplier still gets paid. They still get to grow. They still get to claim it as a, as a customer, as a logo that they have. But there's no real success being driven together by the project. And so when I came to Nimbus, one of the things that was very important to me is I said, you know what? There's a way to do business different. What if I could create commercial terms and models that said, you know what? If my customer's not successful, I'm not going to be successful. Like, in order for us to grow as a company, the way that we have our contracts structured is, hey, when you grow, we grow. And, and if you don't grow, then we don't get the, to enjoy the success of that either. And I've been really proud of the company for doing that because it makes sure that like when we wake up every day, we're actually thinking about like how, how fast is our customer growing? Like what can we do to help? What can we do to get in? And that to me feels more like a partnership because it's not – what of my products can I give this person to make them successful? I might grab somebody out of our marketing team, out of our Nimbus Labs team and say, hey, we need to huddle real quickly because we need to you know, come up with a new strategy or go to market for this digital bank to get it to grow faster. And I don't think software companies tend to think that way just because there's no motivation for them. There's no alignment of interest to the customer that would let them make those kind of decisions. And I think it's a travesty. Yes, and, and, and there's that idea of partnership vendor covenant being a promise versus contract being something that you can get in or out of covenant being a promise that we're committed to playing the long game here. And so this idea of partnership, I think closely aligns with another P word that I'm personally very passionate about, which is purpose, because if we're going to go forward on this journey and we're going to be co-committed to create something bigger than the present moment, as we'll call them individuals. I mean, once again, that's, that's kind of like what marriage is. You're taking two individuals, man, there are so many Valentine day themes coming through here. Relationship themes. Great day to do it. It really is. And, and, and yeah, it, you take two individuals and you bring them together two brands, you bring them together to create something even bigger. It's that collaborative model one that I view as one plus one equals 11. I, what, let's take a step back because where, where we've been historically has been rooted in a lens of scarcity. I think that's the the competitive model here, right? Is it's scarce resources. So we're always going to be fighting for something, but I don't think that we're ultimately going to win and and, and grow out of that. What's the opportunity to flip the narrative to go beyond scarcity and competition 
to one of what I view as a world of abundance where there's plenty to go around. And it's if we if we can all operate from that lens, collaboration is just a natural output of that type of thinking. No, I think it is. And I in you know, one of the things that we learn a lot from our customers is our customers introduce us to other partners that they partner with well. And what I love about that is when you pick the right partner, it's an alignment of the right mindset. Mm-hmm. It's, it's never about the tech. No. This is the hard, but this is the hard conversation again as CEO of a software company. I'm like, eh, you know, and I say this a little bit tongue in cheek, which is like, I don't really care what our APIs are written in. I don't care what cloud platform it's on. I mean, that's all interesting. But at the end of the day, that doesn't make a bank successful or not successful. It may make it easier or less. And there's, you know, I'm sure that you could have a debate about that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what makes a, a company successful is that they have the right partnership mindset. It means when they when they come up against something unknown, it's not like there's already a pre-described playbook on how to do it. It's the fact that they're like, you know what? I care about this customer. I care about their success. I care that this executive sitting across the other side of the table made a bet on their career on me. Like you got to feel that in your bones when you're when you're a partner, and that's where I, I, I think w- what we've done a really good job. I think at Nimbus from a culture perspective is bringing on people into our team who care passionately about. I just looked that customer in the eye. They told me what they needed, and I'm going to do everything in my power to make them successful. And it has nothing to do with the tech. It, it, it has nothing to do with it. Today's episode of Banking on Digital Growth is brought to you by Nimbus, who believes in creating even better financial services for all. Better access, better experiences, better value, all while supporting the entire customer journey. And how do they do this? Offering end-to-end niche banking solutions that you can buy or build, providing accountability beyond the technology, and prioritizing impactful, intentional innovation instead of chasing features. Ready to transform what is and create what's next? Learn more at Nimbus.com. I think you're onto something here, and, and it's something that I've been thinking about when when framing out the next book, Banking on Change. And it comes back to what we were talking about before with digital transformation projects historically having an abysmal success rate or a high failure rate. And it's because I think the the thinking and the commitment has been so much around ones and zeros to where if we flip that and we focus on human transformation, the people side, human transformation must precede digital transformation because digital transformation alone, historically, we've, we've struggled with. But if we can really focus on the human element Human transformation, you know, a lot of there's a lot of talk about centered design and I'm more interested in human centered growth here. Where might or what has historically held human beings back from connecting and collaborating with each other? I mean, once again, it's it's February 14th. Yesterday was the Super Bowl. It was a competitive event is this is this rooted in cultural i know we're kind of going deep here but it's just these are the things that i think of this is this is what keeps me up at night it's it's more of the human aspect because if we get the human aspect and the human element right the technology i feel will just easily fall into place it'll be a tool to make things even that much bigger better brighter for us all yeah i mean i think that 
Well, the competition is, is, you know, when you have competing interests, that can be good in a way for the market, right? The fact that I sort of see Nimbus as, you know, part of our value is that we bring good software and good solutions to, to, the, to the market. And I believe that. But part of my job, too, is to push the other suppliers who, mm. you know, there are going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of banks who never do business with Nimbus. Yep. They're going to do business with the, the legacy players. But the value that I can add to that equation is if I become a gadfly and start pushing the other core providers to do things differently, too, and to help them change or at least create a voice in the market that says, we don't have to just take this for granted. We can do it differently. Maybe you're not going to do it differently with us. That's okay. But if I can make your existing relationship better by making that other partner think about partnership differently, then I, I, I take success in that. And the only reason I say that is in some ways I compete with those companies and I want to win. And I think that we have a, a different approach and that's just natural in business. But in some ways I kind of feel like I'm helping them. Yeah. And, you know, by calling out some of the stuff that maybe gets in, I, I have to just point out something. I was blown away last week. I was, you know, it was seven o'clock at night. I was enjoying a glass of Cabernet and relaxing as the day was unwinding. And I started listening to Jack Henry's earnings call from the earnings call for the quarter. And I was blown away because one of the first things that was mentioned on the earnings call by the CEO, David Foss, was that that the company was excited that they had grown the deconversion fee revenue for the company to $25 million for the quarter. Mm. And my head started spinning. <laughs> right, right. I was like, wait a minute, you, you're happy that number one, customers are leaving you because when they leave, that's when they pay deconversion fees. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is you're, you're totally fine with monetizing the fact that people are leaving to go to someone else because they're unhappy with the relationship that they have. And I'm not picking it. And any of the core providers would have the same sort of structure. So I, but I just, I'd never heard that before on someone's earnings call, that that was like, Hey, we're growing, we're doing great. We're growing strength, $25 million of deconversion fees. And I've been like, that blew my mind. Yeah. And what it did is it set up for me going like, wait a minute, that's the wrong mindset. That's the wrong attitude. It should be, it, it, in fact, if you have to charge deconversion fees, you should be actually ashamed of the fact that you're getting that much deconversion and that should be telling you that something's wrong. And it just goes back to the fact that sometimes companies get so big that they get into everything gets driven by contract versus mindset and partnership. Yes. Because if you had a partner mindset, you would never, ever, ever even think that way. Mm-hmm. And so, and so that was like sort of a a real data point in the world that that got me thinking. Like, man, there's got to be a better way for us to do this. Well, and I think that there has to be an even better way to move forward because there's that phrase. It's one that sends chills down my spine. We've always done it this way. We've always done it this way. And and maybe I'm just a contrarian. You know, I've been in the space for 20 years now, and I've always there's the old Robert Frost poem. I saw it in ninth grade and it, it hung in Miss Bungo's English class. And it was two two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And I took the one less traveled and that that has made all the difference. But I always looked at that that poster and I'm like, I want to go down the middle. I want to go blaze a, a trail that's never been blazed before. It's probably going to hurt because, you know, the path is not clear. I'm more interested than that. And, and I'm, I'm curious because one of the things that you noted in the article, this idea of like industry standards, 
<laughs> what can be done to help transform this conversation to go beyond this is the way that we've always done it or quote unquote these industry standards that have been the status quo for the last you know few decades where do we go next i i think part of it is that the industry needs to start having meaningful dialogue around these terms and it needs to be done outside of the context of an individual deal or not and so in this buying ecosystem right there are you know, on the one hand, you have the banks who need technology and that that's just part of, of what they need to operate and run their business. You have the, the technology providers. Then you have a whole army of consultants that are out there. Mm-hmm. The procurement process in banking, especially in community banking, where resources are thinner than mega banks, you're going to see a lot of engagement of consultants to come in and negotiate contracts between a technical provider and a, and a bank. And I think what needs to happen is there needs to be an honest dialogue between those three groups to say, okay, what are we comfortable with? Just sort of what are the norms of our industry that we're going to be comfortable with that help elevate us all? Yeah. And then what are the things that might prevent competition? And then what are the things that are going to make banks put banks at risk because they're locked into something that's not performance-based it's time-based Yes, because that's going to be the preventative to growth. And so what I've been trying to do is develop relationships with the consulting side and saying, Hey, when you're a consultant, you are trained by the, the vendors of going into the banks and saying, look, every core provider makes exclusivity part of their contract. I'm sorry. You're just going to have to deal with it. Well, if I can raise my hand and educate the consultants and be like, no, actually we don't, we don't require it. Then it gives them the power to go, you know what? You should negotiate that out because even if you don't buy from Nimbus, they're willing to do it. So I think the more and more of the startups and the early stage companies like ourselves who challenge the status quo and stop being afraid of the big legacy players, I think that's where true change can happen. So if you're a bank, start betting on the earlier players who will partner with you. If you're a consultant, do your research and find those. And if you're an emerging company, don't follow the big guys. Do things differently. Right. Make it so that you're more aligned with your customers. And that's where magic will happen. I think I think another output of this idea of collaboration, back to your point of just having conversation, having some dialogue, having some discourse and and doing it in a way that comes from a place of, of positivity, not of like, you know, the world is full of negative. I mean, I even open up the conversation. I always open up every conversation. What's been going well, what's good for you? Because it, it, you, you can literally change the energy of a room. And I've seen it happen so many times to where the conversation will always go positive. I, I think about a time there was a financial brand I was coaching and their CFO came to me as a private dialogue with her. And she was like, I just had like the worst conversation with my CEO about something. I don't remember what it was, but I remember this. And I said, what, what happened? And so she told me, I said, did you, did you start off by asking what's been going well? She said, no, you're right. And it was like that, that moment of self-awareness that it, that, that one simple question could have transformed the entire dialogue that, that transpired after, after that initial question. And so I, I could see another opportunity here is not just the ideation and really kind of the rapid turnover of, of, of new ideas, but accountability can come through collaboration as well. Thoughts on accountability. Oh man, it's, it's 
so magical, but it's so hard to commit to because it's it, it, because you're being accountable, right? It's 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 sort of taking a bet and saying like, hey, I'm going to do this, and if I don't, then there's real consequences for me. I don't get the customer. I don't get the contract. I don't get paid. Go on. There's real things there. And I think when you lean into saying like, you know what, I'm not going to make someone else hold me accountable. I'm going to hold myself accountable. Yeah. That's where real power comes from. So you can't make someone else accountable. Yeah. I'm a believer in that. It has to emanate from within themselves to truly come out that way. And so I think that's, you know, that's something that we as an industry need to work on. It's just, I don't know, maybe pointing out our own BS a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like again, I'm on the, I'm on the software vendor side and this is probably one of the guilty parties in the, in this sort of equation is just, you know, we're, we're, we're really trying to sell stuff. We're trying to make new solutions where we are trying to help people, but you know, there's a lot, a lot of mistrust of, of vendors and suppliers. And I think we, we owe it to ourselves to hold ourselves accountable, to get rid of some of that perception in the market that, that's out there. And I think it comes from having open, honest dialogue. Like I made a post on LinkedIn last week um, after Fiserv announced the acquisition of FinZact and yep. Jack Henry had made an announcement. And I sort of just gave my, you know, take on it, which, which I try to not be just uh, attacking people, but I try to call it as I see it and sure. say, you know, are we really having the right conversation as an industry and being that way? The amount of people that came to me in person, I went to a conference actually I was at a conference during that. And like two days later, another CEO of a software company came up to me. He said, man, you nailed it. You, you had the right thing. I'm so glad that you, you know, had the, the guts to say that. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah. He's like, I don't, because I'm a partner of one of those companies and they would have dumped all my business. So <laughs> I was like, well, that's, what's holding you back from telling the truth. Like, and having this hard conversation is that you're afraid of that. And, and I really, I, I made a commitment to myself that it's like, I want to be respectful and I don't want to be a jerk, but I want to make sure that this industry is having the right conversations. And I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to succumb to the fear of pressures of larger companies and things like that. I think if we want to make change, we really have to, we have to take an approach like that. You know, it's something that my wife and I, in episode 167, she came on and it was all about truth and truth telling and even Brene Brown. I mean, she writes, you can have, you can choose courage or you can choose comfort. You cannot choose both. And it's this idea of two paths diverge in a wood. And I didn't take the one less traveled. No, I took, I, you know, you blaze your own trail kind of down the middle. It, and, and it's one that does take, some courage to make that commitment. But to me, that's where the really big transformation happens. And the, really the three keys that I see for any type of transformation start, number one, telling the truth, no matter how uncomfortable it is about where you've been, where you're at, where you can grow next. Number two, getting the training and education to help others see what, what they can't see just yet because you're seeing something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And the number three, simply taking time to just think about those next best steps forward based upon what you've learned, because it all comes down to a shift in perception. You know, you see something a little bit different that will then help you think differently. That will then you know, lead to different feelings and emotions, which will ultimately lead to different actions, behaviors, habits. 
And that then leads to the whole new future. I think we're all working to create. We want something better for this industry. It all comes down to, I think, back to the word that you mentioned, which is in, in fact, trust. Next steps going forward for the dear listener when it comes to what we've talked about today, that they can you know, do something small to make some progress on their own journey of growth and around the ideas that we've been talking about here, what would, what would be something small that they can commit to do next? Look, for me, it's, it's starting the conversations and sitting down with the people who you consider to be strategic partners and saying like, look, are we both really committed to this relationship? And I'm talking about the person who might be wondering like, you know, should I continue doing business with this partner or not? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and maybe you are, you're already there and you have a great partnership and that's amazing and keep that going. And, but have those regular conversations about it that says like, what is it about this partnership that is either working or not? And it's almost like, you know, I, I think a key to a healthy marriage is to have check-ins. Yes. Like, Hey, and, and it's gotta be done during a time when there's not a problem. That's like one of the most important things I've learned about having conversations in marriage is like, if you try to address the problem that you're feeling the pain with right now, it becomes very hard to be objective about it. You have to create some distance between what happened and then being able to really look at it and have an open dialogue. I think that's a lot of times where vendors are. So don't, don't try to have that conversation when somebody just messed up and there's a, you know, an issue that has to be taken care of, but sit down on a regular basis with your partners and just say, what are you getting out of this? What do you want me to get out of it? And how do we make sure that our interests are aligned? So my wife and I, you know, one of the things that, that we said early in our relationship, you know, before we got married and we had a formal, like six and a half year courtship, are we, are we doing this because we're comfortable? Like, are we getting married because we're comfortable? And it was really like, it was just honest conversation. And then after that, you know, we had some challenges and struggles in marriage and we get into marriage counseling. And then back to your point, it's having those continued check-ins. Even now we'll still go see the the marriage counselor. And it was so funny. Like one time we were going to go and it was just a check-in. And then some conflict popped up and I'm like, this was like, I was like, are you serious? Like we have to go now deal with this conflict because we were just going to go check in. But I think that's, that's another key takeaway with all of this. Sometimes an objective third party can help facilitate a dialogue to where we're just so close to whatever it is that we're dealing with, you know, in a relationship. And that's what this is all about. It's just about, I, I just think you have a new business model there, by the way, I'm just going to say it. I think you could help be the uh, third party helping bring partnerships together with banks and, and partners. So, well, that's something that's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely, definitely, definitely in my mind uh, because it's all about connecting people to do even better. One plus one equals 11. Jeffrey, great conversation as always. If someone wants to connect with you, continue the dialogue, the discussion that we talked today, what's the best for, yeah, way for them to do LinkedIn, that? LinkedIn, that's, that's the easiest way or email jkendall at nimbus.com. Connect with Jeffrey, learn from Jeffrey. Jeffrey, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. Hey, thanks a lot, James Robert. Have a great day. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, brought to you by Nimbus, who is on a mission to bring the people, process, and technology together to create new routes to growth for financial brands and enable them to deliver outcomes. 
To learn more about how you can collaborate with Nimbus to maximize your future digital growth potential, visit www.nimbus.com. Until next time, be well and do good.